We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. It's Wednesday, February twenty eighth. John McKechnie here with Mario Puig. We are in the in the you know in the heart of the NFL offseason. All the meat, all the brass. You know the big name guys are in Indianapolis this week for the NFL Combine to so, argue about hand sizes. Oh yeah, that's. I mean that's. Uh, issue number one on the docket and John Gruden uh, is saying that numbers aren't real. Uh, that's another thing. I guess he elaborated on. a little bit on that when taken aside and said like he admits numbers are real. He's just suspicious of them. And if you, you know, not all numbers does he hate just, uh, you know, certain kinds. If you put the word analytics in front of them, then, you know, he starts gnashing his teeth and getting angry. Yeah. So as long as you just put it like on an old style calculator for him he'll probably be more uh, trusting of you yeah i'm i mean if i'm gonna if you have hit, a, if you like a regression graph or something like that he's just gonna call security <laughs> i'll just i'll try to you know intern for the raiders and i'm just gonna show up with an abacus 
Yeah, that's actually uh, you're, they'll just hire yeah, you I'm on just, the spot. Yeah, moving moving beans left and right, and and all of a sudden I'm, I can I'm the see brain that. genius. I can trust that. <laughs> that's real. So uh, beyond that, uh, enough of the <laughs> Gruden for for now. Uh, well, I'm sure it'll be a recurring theme throughout the rest of this uh, draft season podcast. But let's let's jump into some NFL news and notes. Uh, the Jonathan Stewart era in carolina officially coming to an end uh, i guess it's not a huge surprise but i mean what no. what's sort of like your initial reactions there so i don't know why the panthers would be especially committed to the model that they've had with jonathan stewart for the last uh, 12 years or whatever it's been <laughs> because i just don't get the we need a power back we need a speed back uh, sort of thinking i would rather just kind of build the offense around mccaffrey going forward sure. and maybe you know added running back in the draft or free agency if they simply look like a good value but i don't especially see the need to find like a counterpart to mccaffrey the way it's kind of being framed but there should be a few pretty good options for them uh i, I just wouldn't it, a few good options at cheap in the draft i should say uh, i just wouldn't be shocked if they kind of just punted and you know increased McCaffrey's role a bit and had Cameron Artis Payne and some other guy just taking those between the tackle snaps but someone like Royce or Josh Adams should be there and and between you know rounds two and four if they want to take a specific power back right I think I think the the two guys that you named there were, were especially key and um you know for when you look at McCaffrey, I understand that, you know, the idea of building the offense and, and getting him as many touches as you can. Uh, but you, I feel like you still need to have some sort of presence, you know, re, you know, uh, yeah. short yardage and, and whatnot. So guys like uh, Josh Adams, you know, who's a, who's a bigger back or Royce Freeman who checked in today uh, in like the two twenties or something. Yeah, he was a two twenty eight or two twenty nine. He was listed, I think, at two thirty eight. Uh, right. for his whole Oregon career so it'll be interesting to see if he's actually slimmed down a bit or if it was kind of like he was just playing on that weight the whole time right uh, so, so either way um I think we, we can both agree you know potentially that that the Panthers will address the the running back position in some way shape or form whether it's uh in round two as early as round two or if it's something that they wait till the start of day three to yeah like as much as i think royce or josh adams would be great for that role it's like i wouldn't feel compelled to get someone like that especially in that part of the draft i think they could probably get out fine getting somebody in the fifth sixth or something like that with how devalued the running back position is these days but if they do fixate on you know a jonathan stewart type it seems like royce is pretty much the closest thing and you wouldn't you wouldn't think that rashad penny's going to drop down to that that fourth fifth range because i feel like he he might i don't think he's going to fall past the fourth okay i think he might fall to the fourth but i don't think he's going to fall past it but I think he would work fine. I mean, I, I think they just need someone who can run, basically. I yeah. don't think it needs to be a big guy. It just needs to be someone who isn't quite a tweener like McCaffrey. But I still think McCaffrey can be their lead back. It's just, uh, obviously, he's not going to be a 20-carry, 5-catch running back in the NFL. He's going to be like a 12-15-carry, to 15 carry, 5 to 6 catch kind of runner and you need someone to pick up those other 12 to 15 carries but i don't think you need to be a particular kind of running back specifically yeah i think yeah i, I think uh you, you kind of frame that right where you know mccaffrey looking at him 3.7 yards per carry last year so you like you said you don't really need uh just a, an absolute thumper jerome bettis necessarily you just need a guy like who can, can get yards production yeah, yeah. It's really not that some yardage. It's out, easy. Figure it out, you dingus. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I think 
it ends up being where, where the Panthers are in play for for that um, for a running back in the draft in the first few rounds. Like we said, um, it definitely doesn't become something where you would expect them to spend a first round pick on a running back again. I I guess it wouldn't be the weirdest thing for Carolina specifically since that was what they did back uh, the last time they uh, ruined their cap of taking you know D'Angelo Williams then Jonathan Stewart for some reason spending another four and a half million a year or whatever it was on Mike Tolbert while their receivers were you know these these just complete jokes can't even remember who they would have been Uh, so I hope they don't do that but uh i mean if they are going to take a first round running back they're going to get a good one it's just a bad use of the of the the resource i think where do you where do you think they would go first round i guess the most objectively similar running back in terms of body type athleticism in this draft would be nick chubb mm-hmm. but i i just feel like that'd be probably a bad use of nick chubb too because he's way better than christian mccaffrey so uh if they want to commit to mccaffrey then i think chubb's actually going to kind of negate the utility of of the asset they have in mccaffrey so i would wait you know try to get royce in the third and adams in the fourth is probably what i would go with there we go all right so um kind of actually speaking about that the panthers front office now we have david gettleman in new york correct for the giants uh, I can't remember. I'll, I'll look that up. But general manager. So I mean, like he's a guy that that obviously has taken a running back in the first round in the past. Do you do you kind of apply mm-hmm. that same logic potentially when it comes to the Giants? Maybe going after a guy like Saquon Barkley when Coach Pat Shermer has gone ahead and said that uh, Eli Manning has years remaining as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I don't know because it's on the one hand. Dave Gettleman, it's it's hard to under, it's hard to guess whether a guy like him is still in the frame of mind that he might have been 15, 20 years ago, or if he's kind of adjusting to the times because he was a person in the uh, Giants front office when they picked Ron Dane, which was you know thunder stu- thunder to the lightning, yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess stu- that's stupid proto. for a lot of reasons, but then maybe he was kind of he kind of felt validated by that. A little stretch of thunder and lightning with Tiki Barber and Ron Dane. I don't know, but it's like if he looks back on that and thinks like, "Wow, that was stupid." Maybe he has no interest in any running back at the pick. You know, Barkley is about as good as you're going to get prospect wise at running back. Still, shouldn't interest the Giants. At no, that there's pick. enough. There, last year's show, there's enough else wrong with that team, right? And then that just the nature of acquiring a franchise quarterback in the nfl how difficult it is and what it takes to ever do it successfully i think they're i'm being optimistic here for and and uh, generous toward them by thinking this but i have to believe they're fixated on a quarterback with that first pick and they keep saying this stuff about eli manning because it's kind of like a half truth uh, but one that doubles as a useful smokescreen if people believe what they're saying because technically yeah Eli Manning can probably start a few more years that's not the same as saying we're not going to try to get someone better before that time so I think uh, with this quarterback class being a unusually good one and with any given year it's hard to acquire a quarterback with the kinds that they have here in this draft and it's really hard to get a pick as high as they have right now especially since their ambitions are to win mm-hmm. in the near future so if they if they pass on a quarterback with their first round pick this year 
they're not going to get one for a few years, basically, unless they do, you know, a Carson Wentz type trade, Robert Griffin type trade to do it, which you should try to avoid that. Right. Because, you know, for, for every one time that it works out in the case of Wentz, you know, you end up, uh, kind of sacrificing a lot, mortgaging, uh, your future, you know, the way that Redskins did as far as their draft capital did. Why not get the same player for cheaper? Exactly. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, when Eli was drafted, didn't they already have a veteran quarterback in place and they, they sort of intended, uh, I think it was Kurt Warner, wasn't it? Yeah. Him and Warner were on the same team for a couple of years. I can't remember if it was starting his rookie year, but that probably sounds about right. And it so was what, actually, what if, what if something similar plays out like that, where the giants yeah. you know, they get a guy and they, they're going to, you know, kind of have him be mentored by Eli Manning for, for, they're going to say like a year or two because they want to keep saying that Eli Manning is still worth a damn in the NFL. So they're going to keep saying that. But at the same time, you know, more realistically, uh, that quarterback that, that gets picked number two overall in, the, in New York City is probably going to see the field his rookie year. Yeah, they can play it both ways, basically. They can keep Eli Manning, they can draft the quarterback, they can have Eli Manning start the season. And if he does well, then fine, ride the wave. The quarterback, the, the rookie quarterbacks are there whenever it ends. And if Eli doesn't have anything left, who cares? You, you got the quarterback anyway. Nothing's actually different. It's just the only thing that's uh, the only thing is you, you said things that weren't quite true. You're still managing things to the best of your ability there. And so I think Rosen's going to be the first pick, whichever way it goes, whoever's at that first pick. Maybe it'll have to be the Giants. Who knows? But I think he goes number one, and I think Darnold's the pick for the Giants. If or whoever the leftover between Rosen and Darnold is, I think is is going to New York. Yeah, it seems it seems like the those two uh, Pac-12 quarterbacks are kind of the consensus one too. And some some would say that that Darnold uh, is the one that Cleveland has its eye on. You know, it's it's hard to really take anything without a grain of salt at, at this stage. It seems like everyone's trying to just say nice things, nice platitudes, but really a lot of it ends up being smoke screens but still end of the day um both of those guys probably end up going uh, as the first two quarterbacks uh let's move on to another uh piece of nfl news it looks like gronk is expected to come back uh for the 2018 season um this sort of you know it's something that that uh you know when he's playing that new that new england offense is you know as dangerous as you can possibly be in the league but i mean what's your initial reaction i mean to me it's more like the fact that he, it was it was in question that he was going to come back uh next year or not i think is the bigger story yeah it's interesting because on the one hand traditionally in the nfl a 28 year old player as good as rob gronkowski is not retiring they're they're playing they're in demand at least for the next you know five years certainly and they're probably taking up that work barring some sort of uh you know career threatening injury like a very obvious one but nowadays with cases like chris borland it's all of a sudden like well this guy has probably like what i don't know 50 million in his bank or something like that uh with all the concussions that happen in the league do you really want to push your luck past this? I mean, you, if, as long as you're not stupid with your money, this is enough to last you. He's reportedly very smart with his money. He hasn't yeah. spent like, much of any of the stuff he's actually made from the Patriots. It's been mostly he's living off his endorsements. Yeah, so it's why take more concussions if you're kind of already set? And he's competitive, so he, that's probably what's drawing him back. Is like I, I think ideally to him, it's like he just quits when Tom Brady does, maybe even before Brady, but it's just like 
losing the Super Bowl, it's probably going to be hard for him to walk away, and that's understandable if he comes back despite you know basically not wanting to play football specifically anymore. But if he if he is on the fence right now, you would think it's you know plus or minus a year and a half before he does retire, and so it'll be interesting to see if the Patriots start stockpiling tight end talent in anticipation of that, and Trey Burton specifically in free agency. It's going to be interesting to watch because. He has the exact skill set to fit into the role that Aaron Hernandez used to have. And if you're ever going to take that, you know, specific investment of trying to find the next Hernandez type player for the offense, it's like Burton gives him that opportunity. And why not pay up with, you know, Gronk uncertain year to year? So I think this kind of sets up that that specific match and free agency of, of Trey Burton going there. Okay, and if that if that does happen, um where do you put Burton's value then? It'll be tough to to gauge because last year the second tight end had no function in the offense beyond blocking. But historically, we know they'll go to that player if they're there. They went to even Martellus Bennett a little bit, who's kind of more of a duplicate of Gronk body type wise. So if they put someone in there who's actually fast and a really good runner, route runner, and after the catch, like Trey Burton. I feel like he's probably going to be a bargain as much as he'll also be trendy. Like there's probably going to be a lot of leagues where you have that one guy who's way higher on him than everybody else. And that might be me and they're throwing off, you know, the ADP a little bit, but generally I think people are afraid enough of backup tight end that you'll probably be able to exploit it if he does go there. Yeah. And like you said, uh, the lack of usage among the second tight end for new England last year would probably, you know, and with, with some decent reason, like, you know, cause people to to have a little bit of pause of of going after burton but burton you know in the limited action they saw last year is a pretty impressive guy and he's he's kind of entering that that peak a few years in his career so he could be a very interesting guy and i hadn't really thought of new england as a potential landing spot to this point for him but uh like you said with gronk seemingly uh there on a year-to-year basis it it would make some sense to, to get a little bit of security for down the line yeah definitely and burton's just really good i think right. and it's it's going to be expensive getting him but it, the way the cap goes up every year within two years he's going to be like the you know 12th highest paid tight end and you're not complaining about that number at that point yeah a lot of cap stuff is a little bit more manageable than i think people think it is when you kind of get the initial number shock and then you realize that you know teams find ways of getting getting around the cap uh plenty so yeah, that that's going to be a, a one to keep an eye on because I do think wherever Burton goes, he's going to be a fantasy f- uh, factor. And uh, yeah, he's, people might not know him that well, but he basically is Jordan Reed without the health issues. And that goes back to even their play at Florida where they both played wildcat quarterback and switching between tight end and receiver and all that. So he has he's got advanced running skills for a tight end and he's athletic and can catch. So I think that fits pretty well with New England and, and a lot of teams really. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Yeah, absolutely. So that, a lot of interesting little, little tidbits you, you dropped in uh, right there. So without further ado, let's uh, let's kind of get into the big 
uh, event going on this week, the NFL Combine. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, the running backs uh, and the quarterbacks. And then today, uh, the running backs weighed in. So there are a few kind of notable weigh-ins that, that we saw. Charles Robinson uh, over on Twitter, on uh, he's a Yahoo uh, football writer. He's, he's kind of the guy to go to with a lot of the measurements that, that came out uh, this morning. Uh, was there anything that stood out to you specifically right off the bat as far as what, what, where these running backs were checking in? Royce Freeman coming in light was probably the most interesting thing at a glance, and I doubt it is good or bad like i i would imagine he was probably a little lighter at that weigh in than he was at oregon maybe he was at the same weight all that while at oregon it's hard to tell but if he is a little lighter then he might be a little more athletic in the testing than we expected him to be if he breaks the four six threshold like or, sorry four six zero if it's lower than that i would really like royce freeman a lot because i was prepared to still buy in even if he ran like a four six five at two thirty five two forty if he's at 229, I think he's got a good chance at like a 458 or something like that. And when you take his production and his pass catching history at Oregon, I think everything points to him being a workhorse running back in the NFL and a good one but he's not getting talked about much in this class yeah he really does kind of get get lost in the wash I think a lot of people kind of have their their general top five and I think it's a a good top five to have you know some mixture of Barkley Ronald Jones Darius Geis uh, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle I think that that seems to be a relatively ironclad top five but again this is you know we've kind of entered the second year in a row where we're seeing a really really deep class as far as what you can get at the running back position and freeman is one of those guys that sort of uh, gets forgotten about and i think it's worth pointing out that he didn't have his best year last year but i think a lot of that can be tied to uh, issues that just oregon had in general i think what once their starting quarterback went out teams were able to key on freeman to to uh to just, and if once you stop Freeman, once you load up against the run to the extent that other teams were, then of course he's just not going to be able to, to produce the same way because, it, I mean, the offense becomes so monochromatic. Right, and uh, something I find interesting about Freeman, we've talked about this before, is that uh, he arrived to Oregon as a true freshman and basically kicked out a five-star recruit who was playing running back and had established himself with, uh, I think, an 800-yard season playing behind Bar- Byron Marshall, who had a 1,000-yard season they moved Marshall to receiver and Tyner just kind of disappeared after Freeman got there. So part of that was because uh, Tyner had just some uh, off the field issues, personal, not like character really. Uh, and, you know, Freeman benefited from that, but he, he, even before anything went wrong, like he pushed those two aside. And if you can do that coming out of high school, that's, that bodes well for your upside in the long term. It's production continues to show high upside in the nfl i think so if the testing is merely decent i'm I'm liking him quite a bit and and as far as fantasy and especially you know dynasty fantasy goes with this deep class i think you have freeman going at a price tag that you would normally have to pay like a first round type price for like i think if, if this was a different draft you know especially a draft like you know a few years ago when a guy like daniel thomas went in like the first 40 picks or something like that and ben tate and guys like that like mm-hmm. royce freeman is way better than a lot of running backs that have gone in the second round recently uh, so yeah that's a really good point so yeah the, de- the depth you can kind of benefit from that uh when it comes to uh where, where you can target him in dynasty and we'll see if he if he continues to be sort of like one of the better kept secrets after the combine like you said maybe he doesn't end up testing out of the gym but you know 
what you know about his prospect profile uh, coming out of Oregon and being a productive guy right away, you know, more productive than guys who had established themselves. You know, he's someone to definitely um, keep an eye on. What did you make of uh, NC State's Naeem Hines? He's a guy that I feel like has been kind of getting a, I don't want to say undo, but uh, he's been getting a lot of lot of buzz, you know, a lot of, oh, if you want this year's Alvin Kamara, this is your guy. He checks in. Five eight and three eighths, so just a little bit over five foot eight, under two hundred pounds. I mean, we weren't expecting him to be a monster by any means. No, of that, that sounds about the, what we would expect of him. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's pretty small for an NFL back at the same time. Right. He's he's interesting because he does technically have some similarities with Kamara in terms of like tools and projected skill sets, but the production is not similar. No, uh, the tape is not similar it's as much as Hines was a well-regarded recruit he wasn't a former Alabama recruit where Kamara played before he transferred to Tennessee so the prospect pedigree is dissimilar like I would say at, at least a round apart in hindsight I think we would all regard Alvin Kamara as a worthwhile first round pick a lot of people considered him that before last year's draft anyway he fell to the third largely because of character concerns which we haven't heard about in a while but exactly keep an eye on it uh not that i'm worried it's just that it wouldn't be surprising if kamara is one day like a a bit of a villain for some sports media interest of some kind because he's basically you know got attitude and doesn't care about uh looking he hangs out with cool people i enjoy his twitter very much yeah no he's great it's just like you know it's it's like a culture war thing they see him and his his like is he doesn't care about you know following you know order and looking and talking a certain way sir so uh, that always makes people mad eventually uh, but yeah basically he was regarded as kind of like a first round pick he fell out of a combination of perhaps running a 40 time a little slower than people expected and because nfl coaches don't like him as a person because they feel uncomfortable around him uh heinz there's no indication that there's any kind of thing like that with him so he's more likely to go where he he should go more where like they just evaluate him as a talent. I would be surprised if it's higher than middle of the second round, something like that, even with the copycat nature of the league, because as much as they might, you know, want to find the next Kamara, it's not as if anyone ever thought Kamara was lacking talent. And I don't think you can argue seriously that Heinz comes close to that. So I think he could be useful with like a smart coach. If, if a, you know Sean McVay, Doug Peterson. He's not going to go to uh, he's not going to go to Philadelphia because they got too many running backs. But if he went to some coach who is smart and make sure Hines only does the things that he's good at, which is basically for him as an NFL running back, it would be like running you know routes out yeah, of the backfield, out of the slot occasionally too at NC State. Yeah, yeah, he actually has receiver specific experience, so that's good. But if they expect him to do Alvin Kamara things as a runner. It's not going to happen. Like Heinz will probably br- break some big plays, but Kamara has that talent that just transcends basically all uh, conventional knowledge. Yeah. Whereas Heinz, he's he's going to be like a f- he's going to be a guy whose average per carry drops below four and a half. I think if he exceeds a hundred and ten, hundred and twenty carries in a season. Whereas with Kamara, you would never worry about that. No, exactly. So yeah, there, there's a few things just to just you know it's unfair to put the the sort of kamara tag on Hines basically because he's not he's not to that same level he's he's like if he runs a four four five instead of a four four flat or a four three five 
He's closer to a Tyler Irvin. Ooh, folks. So, I mean, it's even Tyler Irvin, I think, could be useful in certain offenses, but we're talking about, you know, 20% likely scenarios when, when we make conditions like that. So I'd, I'm not that optimistic about Hines being like a fantasy football factor, especially as a rookie. Uh, but he will be fast and he can catch like we know that much. And I guess I, I'm just questioning how unique those two things specifically are to him as much as they, you know, seem enticing just because of what we think of what Kamara and how he does what he does. Yeah. And, you know, it, Hines really does kind of carry that that speed tag with him. So if if that 40 time does come in at a, at a bit uh, disappointing, then, then I think we start to see a backslide a little bit as he far needs, as where his stock goes. Yeah, I think he needs to be at least four, four, five at his weight. And, and Kamara even was he was like two ten. 212 or something like that wasn't it yeah kamara's listed uh, by the saints at around 215 so yeah it's their, their body five, types six. are not even similar no, from the starting not. point yeah yeah kamara much more built for for the um you know a traditional running back role in the nfl you can just do uh so much else um any other you know kind of notable uh running back measurements that you saw from today i think the other most interesting one is geis who came in heavier than expected he was expected to come in at about 218 Geis weighed in at 5'11", 224. So Geis, 5'11", 224. Nick Chubb, 5'11", 227. Uh, Kalen Ballage, 6'2", 228. Those guys are all regarded as like power or the first or the second two are regarded as power backs. And Geis has largely been billed as kind of like a speed guy, right. which true, he has a lot of speed and quickness. But even at his uh, pre weigh in weight of 218, it was like he's he's not far off from the power either and it'll be interesting to see just how much faster i guess i shouldn't assume he'll be faster than chubb and ballage but if he is faster than them at a similar weight that would be pretty impressive for him yeah and you know looking at his film people do have a hard time bringing him down like it you know uh in terms of just wrapping him up uh he he runs with a lot of strength in his lower body i mean i, I wouldn't say it's necessarily as good or better than nick chubbs but it's definitely you know in, in a similar stratosphere um so there is that that power component that i think gets washed over because he gets that that speed tag um a little bit more so yeah if if he does end up uh testing well here especially in the 40 uh, and then in the uh, lateral agility drills then then uh you know the fact that he's 224 and can do those things i think that that certainly helps solidify himself and maybe you know i I feel like he's backslid a little bit as far as where people are ranking him i think some people have been more uh, keen to rank him towards the top of their uh towards the back of their top five i know i have personally um but maybe that changes with the combine yeah i'm kind of I'm kind of convincing myself that I'm going to end up ranking him ahead of Michelle, which I, I don't feel strongly about it. It's just, um, I I don't want to have to rank like any of these guys behind the others because it's, it's really hard looking at Michelle and the number five behind him and your running back rankings. You're like, Oh, I must be doing something wrong when a player (laughs) this good is this low, but it's just how it's going to be in this draft. I think, and guys, if he's basically like, a speed back at 226 or, or sorry 224 and a power back is 227 it, it just speaks very well of his upside 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he he's a special talent, and he's a guy that um, you know, his, especially his first two years at LSU, uh, the yards per carry that he was he was putting out uh, were just remarkable, and he has a single game uh, record as far as rushing yards at LSU. That's definitely uh, a pretty lofty mark to have broken, and that was you know. I think maybe in like his fifth or his sixth uh, career start. So he, he's got some really impressive uh, stuff to him. I'm still probably leaning a little bit more towards Michelle um, I, because I, I have some problems uh, rectifying Geis' uh, pass catching ability or lack thereof. Right. Um, so we'll have to see uh, what comes of that. And I think, you know, some of the drills this week and, and the pro day stuff will we'll kind of uh, measure that out. Um, so is that about it as far as running backs you wanted to talk about? Yeah, there's not the really much. Uh, most of the other ones are kind of exactly what we expected them to be. So uh, the, not much to say until they start running and jumping, I guess. Exactly. All right. So, yeah, and I think those guys are set to test either Friday or Saturday. Um, yeah, as far I, as the I, running backs go. Yeah, I, I never am we'll, good at we'll, remembering the combine schedule. We'll, we'll circle back on that a little bit later on, but we'll uh, we'll get things going here as far as our receiving uh, prospects, and and a lot of these guys are going to be in Indianapolis this week at the combine. Uh, Mario, I think we both agree, really on on our fir- first three guys um, when it comes to Alabama's Calvin Ridley. Oklahoma State's James Washington and Texas A&M's Christian Kirk I think after that it gets interesting but I think the arguments can be made where um, aside from Ridley I'm pretty I'm pretty sold on Ridley as wide receiver one until something else bears out Um, but I think there are other receivers in this area that that could be as high as the number two yeah and I don't have strong feelings about my rankings at this point for the receivers as much as we have like the same top three it's if someone really got in my face and was saying Christian Kirk's the best receiver in the draft, I'd be like, okay, whatever. I guess I'm not like, I don't really disagree with it that much. Uh, there's not much separating these guys in my opinion. So that all of Ridley, Washington and Kirk are, you know, five eleven type guy. I know Ridley's listed at six one. I'm going to assume he's going to be six foot or a high five eleven or something like that. Okay. Um, but that they're all these, you know, they're either slot or wide receiver two body types. I don't think any of the three has truly elite athleticism, but Ridley would have the closest thing to it if one of them does. And Kirk, we'll see. He might be faster than we expect based on his punt return numbers. Like he almost he averaged like he averaged like three times as much per punt return yardage wise as he did per catch. So it's like Jeez. if if that's if it's the twelve point two yards per catch that matter, it's pretty hard to understand how he got six punt return touchdowns or whatever it was averaging like 30 yards or 25 yards of punt return. Uh, he was insanely good at that. And you're usually either just uncommonly good as an open field runner or you're fast. I think for a combination. Like maybe, maybe that applies to like a Dante Pettis, uh, at Washington, as far as his punt returns goes, because I don't think his speed, uh, straight line or otherwise like a four is, five is, guy. Is, is as good as what I expect Kirk's to be. Yeah. Uh, Pettis looks kind of like Devin Smith as an athlete, but it, Devin Smith didn't have the punt returning skills. Uh, but yeah, it's like Pettis is a, is a bouncy guy. Like he's a, he's like, isn't he a long and high jumper? Yes. So yeah, he's not even known for being like a burner in a straight line, but he probably just, uh, you know, it's like trying to catch a fly or something. Yeah. Um, a little bit. Yeah. That's good. That is kind of what it looks like a lot of the time. But, um, yeah, he's, so Pettis is a guy that, yeah, we'll probably, talk about because i bet he goes in the second or third round because he's such a rare punt returner but it's like 
he's supposed to go in the second or third round basically because he's a really unusually great punt returner and Kirk might be just as good as him. Uh, Kirk, you know, did his big time punt return numbers while taking on a workhorse receiver load, whereas Pettis kind of at least had uh, a bit of a lighter workload as a receiver up, up until this year anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he could kind of focus more specifically on his punt returning, but Kirk, Kirk had to be like the workhorse and then go back to return the punt too. And he did that so well. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if he runs like in the four fours and uh, does really well for himself. And it's also good to remember with Kirk, he's kind of another case like Royce Freeman was to the running backs at Oregon. Uh, Kirk arrived to, <clears throat> excuse me, Texas A&M. I want to say as an early enrollee, and even in like the early practices, it was you could, all the media coming out of there were just like he's their best receiver, like he's, he's their best receiver, and it was hard to believe it at the time because they had Ricky Seals Jones, who was the first, who was the top receiver recruit in his class. He was coming back from a knee injury at the time, I think. Like but Josh uh, Reynolds, Josh Speedy Reynolds Noyle. was there. Speedy Noyle was there, and they said the same things about Speedy Noyle the prior year. Uh, it turned out to be a little bit different in Noyle's case. He's uh, on a CFL practice squad, I yeah, think. Good for him yeah i I wouldn't be shocked if he comes back because i mean he still is like elite elite yeah he's ridiculous so yeah but uh in any case like unlike speedy noyle who fell off the face of the earth uh kirk was extremely productive basically from day one so he might have the kind of athleticism that just doesn't really show up for his body type or something like that because it Again, it's otherwise just hard to explain the numbers he's put up. So he could catch up to uh, Ridley or Washington or both. And he's so he's so quick with his releases. Like it, it, as far as his route running from the slot goes, it's it's kind of a thing of beauty to watch when it comes to him. I mean, he's really able to dust uh, the nickel corners or the safeties, whoever they they put on him. So I I expect him to kind of have the same ability to to get open uh, at the next level and like you said that there's like you know the punt return athleticism to kind of back up uh things with him where whereas like you might take a glance at the 12 yards per catch and not not think that that's all that special but there are other elements to his game where where it's like you need to rethink that and recon recontextualize it right if i had to guess right now i would say kirk probably doesn't run like that fast of a 40 i'm guessing he probably settles between like four four seven and four five flat and has an insane agility score um but yeah i was i was messing up those numbers before he averaged 12.2 yards per catch and 22 per punt return which is still crazy like it's, yeah, it's no pretty, if you're over 17 as a punt returner that's pretty awesome generally if you average more per punt return than you do per catch that's just weird it's hard to <laughs> yeah. do that um so that he was getting a lot of short dump off passes from quarterbacks who Bad couldn't quarterbacks. throw bounce downfield basically is what happened yeah uh so I, I like her quite a bit it'll be interesting to see where he goes um but yeah james washington if it goes wrong for him i think it's because he runs like a above the four or five mark and it's um it's fair to worry about i guess his translation to the nfl because he was plainly dominant in college and he's by any account a good receiver it's just the question is like how high is he worth picking and specifically his function at oklahoma state you might worry about it translating to the NFL because it it was a wide open field. It was like a CFL type field that he had to work with. He might need, you know, like four, four level speed for his particular game to translate. Whereas with uh, the same would be true of Ridley, but we're pretty much already sure he's going to not hurt himself with his testing. Right. And, you know, going back to Washington, you know, when it comes to a lot of the times, big 12 receivers coming out and they, there is a question of the system uh, and what their roles were and how that translate to the next level. And 
when it comes to Washington, he doesn't look like a Des Bryant or 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 a uh, Justin Blackman. He's a little bit shorter. He's kind of built like a running back, basically that that was able to be the best deep threat in college football last year. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, where this ends up. I think speed, like you said, the long speed is going to be particularly important because there are things to his game that I think warrant him uh, being like a a first round selection, or at least, you know, the second uh, receiver off the board. There's been a lot of talk about uh, how how strong his hands are. Like as far as a reliable pass catcher, he's, he might be, uh, He's arguably the best or at least the strongest at the point of the catch of anyone else in this draft. Yeah. And everybody says that he does a great job with um, some of the more like coaching technique specific things that people like us aren't likely to know as much about. Mm -hmm. But uh, they speak glowingly of his ability to, you know, get away from the jam, uh, his route running, just things like that. But again, it goes back to are the physical tools keeping up with the pace for it to translate exactly at the kind of output that you need to justify a first round pick. And I think we can be more agnostic on that. Like it's a fine line between um, not to write off Carew's career uh, entirely, but it's a fine line between a Leontay Carew and a Greg Jennings, which is kind of the body type and and production range that we're talking about with James Washington. That's also the distinction between, uh, I think, I think Jennings was like mid second round and then crew fell to the third. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's kind of what's at stake for him. That kind of divide, I think. Wow. That's it. That's actually a really uh, interesting uh, comparison to draw up there. I, I hadn't really uh, considered it like that. And, and, you know, it goes to show how, how thin the margin uh, can be. So you, you feel like Washington among these top four guys or so, maybe is the one not necessarily with the most to lose but maybe the most likely to kind of take the back backslide i think he's the one who yeah i don't i guess those two things can kind of be the same but basically we don't have as much reason to believe ridley can hurt himself as we do washington and i Mm -hmm. think the same is true of kirk i would say that both uh, Washington and Cortland Sutton, who incidentally is, uh, I think the consensus wide receiver for, I, I know you got DJ Moore ranked there. I think the consensus has settled on Sutton as the wide receiver four That's going fine. into I the mean, combine. I don't hate that. I mean, right, yeah. six, four receiver <laughs> with pretty amazing red zone skills, but yeah, I think Washington and Sutton, uh, are, are kind of the two of the top five who can hurt themselves the most, most plausibly. But you know, we, I think whether, whether it really has a ton to do with what happened to Mike Williams uh, as a rookie or not. Um, I think that maybe that there's sort of a, I guess like a a Mike Williams comp for for Sutton in terms of size, but it's, I don't know. I I worry about Sutton really hurting himself with, with some of the testing because on, on film, I didn't see a ton of like long speed and I, I saw a lot of like build up that it took uh, for him to get there. And he, get, he gets out produced by his, by his teammate who's probably going to run a faster 40 than him uh, by a decent margin in uh, Trey Quinn. So there, there's a lot of questions that Sutton needs to answer. I think you can rationalize Sutton's decline in production by just, uh, and I think we both agree that, Quinn is good. Yes. And so I think there's there's a possibility that it's just Sutton and Quinn are both good and uh, one produce doing anything in particular is not uh you know a, a slight toward the other but Trey Quinn did make clear this year that he is a better underneath and intermediate target than Sutton was. Sutton was killing people deep all throughout his SMU career but it wasn't until Quinn arrived 
that he had real competition for targets and Quinn blew him away with receptions at like 40 more than him or something like that. Yeah. I think more yardage to nation. Yeah. Receptions. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So that, that is a big distinction, <laughs> like 40, 50 catches then. So yeah, I think Sutton, I, I think with Sutton, it's that we have reason to think Quinn is good enough that we don't think Sutton was necessarily just the product of having no competition his first two years at SMU. Yeah. Uh, but if he runs a four six five, he's still falling to maybe the fourth round. If he runs a four six flat, I think it solidifies his third round, gives him second round potential. But I think he needs to get like four five five to realistically have a shot at the second round. I'd be really surprised if he runs that in Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm expecting him to settle in as a third round kind of target. Okay. Um, probably runs like a four five eight or a four six two or something like that. But. I'm not expecting him to be the athlete that Kenny Galladay was last year, and he fell to the third round. Exactly. So, so there's. I don't think he looks the same way as Galladay does. Another, you know, they're both big receivers, but I think Sutton's uh, a little bit, you know, more stocky. Yeah, he's uh, got probably bigger catch radius, I would guess, for whatever that's worth. But yeah, I, th- I think Sutton's going to be totally fine. It's just. Um, I don't know. It's it's not like I'm expecting him to have like a JJ Stokes career or something like that. I just kind of I kind of worry about him settling in as a a wide receiver three who only plays outside. If that makes any sense, and I'm, I'm trying to think of like a good comparison in the NFL, um, but I can't really think of one. I, I will say this: I don't think I would rate Sutton much differently than what I ultimately ended up rating Mike Williams as because I basically considered Mike Williams as 40 from the Clemson Pro Day a 4-6 yeah and they have the same body type and uh, I think you could argue that Sutton's production is a little more impressive but he did it at SMU so it cancels out um, but yeah I, I think he will grade similarly to me as, as Mike Williams did which is to say like late second early third or something like that all right so who do you have checking in right after Sutton would you say that like this Ridley Washington Kirk Sutton that it this sort of first tier ends there I think you could make the case that Sutton is in the same tier as DJ Moore who you have at number four and DJ Chark maybe a couple other guys but this is this is where it gets really interesting because I feel like guys number four through I don't know 15 could be pretty similar yeah because like i'm looking at my last uh, rankings that i made and then my number 15 receiver is Deshaun hamilton who a lot of people like there's jordan lastly at 14 who a lot of people like yeah i'm a lastly guy personally yeah i like him too and uh but it's like we have these guys like traquan smith uh cedric wilson michael gallup who got more talk i feel like a month or two ago and they've kind of disappeared in in the public discourse since uh the senior bowl not for doing anything wrong it's just like we've we're kind of like bored with the senior bowl now and we want the, yeah, the underclassmen we like, yeah exactly we, like with the senior bowl like that they get the spotlight and, and you know rightfully so so and then uh, we decide that they're lame now actually and what like, about these other wait, guys i've heard of him I, I haven't seen a game with him in a while. He's probably worse now. But yeah, I think more is interesting. And a lot of people have settled on him as more than the number four or five receiver. Some people are ranking him as number one because their uh, wide receiver projection models put a huge emphasis, understandably, on market share numbers, which I I think more is good going into the combine. Sure. I th- I think he still has a lot that he needs to prove as an athlete to specifically determine his placement in the draft. But one thing I wouldn't want to do is equate his market share production of yardage and, and receiving touchdowns on Maryland as analogous to any other setting for any other receiver because 
it was almost like they were reduced to a Minnesota type uh, passing route uh, tree and play calling approach of where it's like just get it to this one guy like our quarterback is too bad to be trusted with any second read yeah, or, or like you know at georgia tech uh you know with ricky june or, or yeah. you know last year uh before uh air force had that whole ruling uh about players not being able to go to the oh, draft robinette yeah jalen robinette um you know the same kind of thing like, like you're saying with the with the market share not that maryland runs a triple option offense but right. like you're saying there is literally no one else catching passes for them and also the the quarterbacks at maryland were so bad that really you know the the coaching staff just wanted to make it as simple as possible as okay get to dj Moore. that's it let's see what he can do and what he did this year with those like f- you know what happened was the first string quarterback turns his acl and the second one does and they have a former walk-on max bordenschlager uh kind of take the reins the rest of the season and Moore is able to lead the big 10 in receiving despite uh that adversity so the, the market share is a little bit skewed I, I don't know if you can like properly uh contextualize that uh, you know as much as you can but uh what he's able to do after the catch i think is really uh kind of special among yeah. these receivers yeah and he's interesting because he has the running back build like 511 yeah, like 215 Washington. and um he when you watch his tape he has this unusual anchor ability for a receiver like it's it's you only see it normally from uh 220 pound running backs the way that he kind of grips the ground as as tacklers try to take him down and he just kind of withstands them might not even be that brutishly strong or anything it's just that he, he seems to have like that balance and and uh just a, this the, the um, reflexive ability to kind of like brace himself for contact that he probably couldn't explain to anyone and probably didn't have coach to him or anything. It's just something that he probably developed playing like playground football or something like that. And nobody else caught up to him really as far as it goes. But then the question is, is he going to be fast enough and quick enough for it to really shine through at the NFL level? Because I mean, breaking tackles is great, but you got to also be able to hit the open field after you break the tackle so that's what he has to make the case for at the combine i think but going into it it's like every input that we have is really promising i am leery of the of you know putting too much significance into the market share thing because he finished with like 53 percent of their receiving yardage this year which is i don't think i've ever seen anything like that (laughs) outside of the, the triple option offense but um it's like when 35 percent is conventionally regarded as like elite or something close to it when you see 53 you have to just kind of stop for a second and be like all right something i might off i might want to double team. check this yeah so we'll see i think he probably would have come in at like 35 percent, even if it wasn't for uh the quarterback injuries even if they had a second read in the offense the rest of the year i think he still probably would have been pushing like 35 40 sure but uh 53 whatever significance you take from it don't like at least put it down to like 45 or something like that as it's far too as too extreme yeah so we'll see he he could he could make good enough athletic testing for that ranking to be merited but uh, i don't think it's going to be because of the market share alone no I, I think that's that's a fair way of putting it so i mean what what in your mind so you think like the 40 for more is sort of like the big question mark hanging over him just the whole thing like I, I know people like to fixate on one particular drill and especially the 40 and i think for some players you, you do basically have everything ironed out to the point that that is the last thing you actually care about but i don't think a player needs a strong 40 specifically um you just need a strong athletic profile generally and especially for the kind of game you figure to play at the nfl which in his case i think he wants to have good agility drills yes um i don't think like if he ran a four five five that's not good at a glance 
it would be bad if he you know did that generally but it would only manifest particularly for him if it were accompanied by bad other testing like if he has a 455 but like a top 95th percentile agility score and you know a 38 inch vertical at 215 i'm not worried about that because when you put together the broader athletic profile he still comes out above the average even if it's not from speed specifically so I, I never put like a death sentence on a player unless it's like an egregiously bad 40 sure. like Deronia wilson or something like that <laughs> but if he if he runs a four five five to a four five eight i think that pushes him into the third round but i don't think you can write him off as a prospect so long as he also has you know good agility drills and um even even if it's all bad sometimes it doesn't matter but it's just we have to play with the odds as best as we can tell Mm -hmm. and uh, if if he doesn't put together that profile you do have to worry about whether the film can even translate right so uh yeah no uh, all of that uh definitely makes sense um let's get into some more off the beaten path types of receivers um i guess yeah let's get into two of the two of the darlings uh from the senior bowl uh dj chark who i think is a guy that that you kind of had a beat on even before uh that week started as someone who who is of plenty of interest because he played in a terrible offense much like dj moore did um but he was still able to put up decent numbers but i think the numbers uh I think that they're not as good as what DJ Chark actually brings to the table as far as being a, being a receiver. Yeah, I'm kind of agnostic on DJ Chark. I feel like it's hard to take the information we have on him and really pin down his exact nature. But if I had to pick one person outside of the top three of Ridley, Washington, Kirk to crash the first round, it probably would be Chark because he played at LSU. They do like the big school players. He, he was kind of a one-year wonder in a sense. But I think you can rationalize his week uh, 2016 uh, and earlier numbers because he was rotating behind Travendorall and Malachi Dupre. Um, they both have turned out to be nobodies. But Les Miles was like married to those guys. So it's not, yeah, like, he, like you said, it's not really his fault. And the thing is, if you look at his per target numbers from 20, uh, 2016, they're actually really good. They're way better than Durall or Dupre's were. And then this year he put up more great per target numbers, killed the senior bowl game. So he's going to come in at like 6'3", 200, maybe even more than that. Ideally, he'd be a little bit more like 210 or something like that. But he seems like he's going to test pretty well because yes. uh, he just killed teams deep. Uh, like percentage-wise, like if you – like per capita he, on his targets, like he did more deep damage than James Washington, I would think, because it's like he didn't get that many targets, granted. It's like sure. you do worry about those other aspects of his skill set because you're not catching – uh, NFL passes from Danny Etling, so you're probably not running NFL routes with him either. Um, but going deep, he was really, really good at, and that it showed up at the Senior Bowl. I think bodes well for him. So um, I, I don't know where ex- exactly I expect him to perform, like at the combine, but he's definitely on the short list of riser candidates just because of his kind of recruiting pedigree. Also, he's a senior, but he's really young for a senior. He doesn't turn 22 until October or something. No, that's a, that's a really good point. So, I mean, there, there's still uh, some room to grow for him. And, and like you said, you know, being an elite five-star type of, or four-star 
uh, SEC recruit that that really kind of shined out on a per target basis these last couple of years. He, he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. I think I think putting him as as like that crashing the first round I think is a good way um, of putting that. Uh, how much have you seen of Jordan Lastly from UCLA? I've, I've noticed that not he's that been, much. He's been picking up some traction. I think he's a pretty smooth route runner. I think he's really nice after the catch as well. Um, not not so much as far as like running people over, but like he's smart with where he goes and he ends up kind of maximizing the amount of yards that he can get uh, after the catch so he's someone that, that i really like uh, a fair bit a smooth athlete i wouldn't say that he's he's a favorite to be the fastest receiver at this combine i'm trying to think actually who might be who might kind of fit that bill have you put the, any the fastest fastest receiver fa- fa- fastest receiver in terms of the 40 uh i haven't seen any like actual favorite for that but is, is Callaway invited to the combine? I don't know. He, yeah, he's there because uh, no, yeah, his, his off the field stuff didn't quite uh, violate uh, the, the stuff that NFL, NFL implemented. So he's there. So he'll he'll definitely be a force. I think Kiki Kuti uh, from Texas Tech is also another guy who could. You know, I don't think that he's going to be much more than like a fifth round pick at best. But I think he can he can be a guy to look out for when the receivers are running their forties. Yeah, it's hard to see any actual like obvious burners in this class and that's part of why it's regarded lowly by a lot of people yeah like guys like me and john look at this and we see a lot of good players but to people who aren't uh you know neurotically informed on on specialist type roles and and you know really good slot receiver values (laughs) late in the draft it might look rather boring and i I can't really blame anyone for taking that up because it's like i don't see a reliable wide receiver one in the draft it's like I don't I, I just can't pick one if I had to it's like Chark might because he has you know the size the speed but uh, the skill set hasn't been demonstrated it's like lastly is probably one of the guys that has the best chance of being a wide receiver one and I'm not at all convinced he'll be anything close to it right but I still think he's you know in this class and just generally he's good there's going to be a weird thing that happens in this draft where because of that uh that cluttering of of guys like five through 15 and maybe up through 20 in the order there's going to be somebody who's basically a you know arbitrarily distinguished from someone going in the second and third rounds who's going to fall to the fifth or sixth or something like that don't know what people are going to do it I, i i mean it's probably going to be determined by things that people like us can't find out about ahead of time like medicals and uh just weird arbitrary things maybe even off the field stuff that hasn't been reported on who knows but yeah it's like i just can't get myself worked up about ranking any of lastly or hamilton or trey quinn or michael gallup cedric wilson Traquan smith uh, marcel adaman equinemia st brown who was everybody's number one receiver going into this year pretty much ja- javin wims too i think kind of he's, he's been forgotten about in recent weeks but like you know right around the end of the college football season he's a guy that's like oh he's playing himself into day two contention he's been forgotten about and i don't know if he quite de- maybe like with the vertical jump or something he'll be able to kind of open some eyes back up but yeah he's another guy that i think kind of fits in that five to 15 range that that um might be able to move himself up and we haven't brought up these two very much while I think mainstream draft punditry would rank them as like top five receivers in the class. And that's Auden Tate at Florida state and Anthony Miller at Memphis. Anthony Miller is my, he, he's like a player who I love for the pros for the, uh, uh, the productiveness in his prospect profile and his film, but there's so much else that's concerning. And you're basically talking like, 
Anthony, you're talking like Antonio Brown kind of level exception for Anthony Miller's profile to come through as like a starting level asset in the NFL. He's older than most receivers. He's former a walk on. Yeah. Former walk on He's a red shirt, uh, senior and he's a former walk on at Memphis after playing at a Memphis high school, which is probably like, I thought, I thought they probably gave like a, you know, a, a you know, a fail son scholarship to the best local player who couldn't sure. get a school's offer anywhere else, but they, they didn't even offer him, which doesn't bode well for how he'll test athletically. And we don't even know what, he, I don't know if he's going to participate because of that foot he, injury. He said he was going to, or he said he was cleared, but then uh, the, the Memphis beat writer kind of retracted and was like, he's going to bench and he's going to do interviews. So yeah, we so still, we're not going to see him. Probably and not. He's going to have his stock cool off more to the levels that we've had him at for a month or more. And we, we love the production. The skill set seems there, but uh, a lot of reason to worry about the medicals and the athletic testing, given what we do know. And he's not he's not like built like a, you know, this guy getting off the bus. Okay, he's a freak show. He's he's a guy that we need to be super worried about. He's, you know, kind of that stuff was all true about Antonio Brown because he ran like the four six or something at like a one eighty five or something (laughs) terrible like that. And you watch him play and it's almost I almost have to wonder if that was basically just because he didn't know how to do track drills because he's not a four six. Guy. No, um, but anyway, uh, that's basically the kind of odds that I think Miller has against him. But on the other hand, his production and his tape say he's you know he can't be ruled out. Uh, I think he had eleven red zone touchdowns. At, you yeah, know, he's, he tore 11. through every defense he saw too. And um, to be fair to him, he was productive the second he got on the field at Memphis. It's not like his advanced age. Um, is his fault he had a season-ending injury his red shirt freshman year that delayed his arrival a bit um, but in any case he's someone who that some people have had is like a maybe he's the best receiver in the draft I've had him ranked at about 20 for a while yeah uh, for the injury and workout reasons that we talked about and then Auden Tate a guy who I've seen people talk about as a potential wide receiver one is kind of the opposite he was the pedigree guy who never really put up the numbers proportionate to expectations and I'm kind of not even sold that he's an athlete I think he's the Durant of this class if there it, is one it looks like he the bottom for uh out range of outcomes for his 40 is is pretty bad there's not a whole lot of burst or speed on that tape like i'm not even worried about someone like alan lazard the way i am uh <laughs> Auden tate and like lazard's talking they're talking about moving him to tight end already so i, I think i think tate could run like a 475 or something like that yeah no there there is that issue um so there there's like yeah, there, there's a lot to be worried about when it comes to him. I think that that speed or lack thereof could be kind of his downfall because, it, you know, he does have some some pretty good looking stuff on tape, you know, going up in the red zone. He, if, uh, the, if NFL, yeah, if, if playing receiver was just doing like jump ball drills in the end zone, Tate would be a really good receiver. There you go. I yeah. think that that's pretty much uh, the best way of putting it. But like he's, you know, he's no better than what like, uh, Calvin Benjamin was coming out for yeah. Say. Benjamin was a much better player yeah. at Florida State, and I think that probably would just send a chill down a lot of people's spines. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. So we're, we needed to get that out there. We I will say that if, if I can go back to the the forty guess, I'll I'll go with Callaway as okay. the fastest forty. And I got I got one more guy who's sort of a dark horse. Um, I've been reading up on him a little bit. Really, no production to speak of um, over the last few years. But I'm interested. 
Robert Foster. Oh, he's kind of interesting though. He was, um, he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. Like Ridley immediately overshadowed him that there's some other, you know, like our Darius Stewart. Types he was supposed that, to, uh, Robert Foster was supposed to play ahead of our Darius Stewart before having like a torn shoulder labrum or something two years ago. See, so Foster's a guy that in a lot of, uh, you know, this, it, I don't know if it counts as propaganda. If I'm reading al.com, which is, you know, the Alabama, uh, you know, kind of state website, but, uh, they, they're all saying that he's just an, absolute freak show of an athlete that really just kind of never got his uh due at alabama so he's someone that that could really kind of go from like i could see it being like a chris conley type of trajectory yeah yeah definitely where where like he he wasn't really productive or or noticeable in college but he goes he shows up in indy and he's just better at these drills than everybody else and it kind of ends up getting him drafted yeah uh that's a good one and like I think the Ricardo Lewis kind of trajectory would make sense for him too. Sure. Like a guy goes in late fourth and people are like, what, who is this? And it's like, oh, all we know is he's fast. Like, yeah. You know, whatever. No one else is fast at this point in the draft. So, uh, yeah, those, those two, uh, Robert Foster actually is pretty interesting. I haven't had him in my, rankings at all but that's just because i you know forgot he existed if you look at his numbers i mean like why would you remember he existed so i mean this is a bit of a dart throw uh from me in the host chair but i think that he's someone to at least keep in the back of your mind and i think you know what once those receivers step on the field and and test uh this week he's someone i'm going to be taking or keeping like a really close eye on i'd probably rather take him than Dion kane there you go and (laughs) kane's someone that that i think a lot of people just wish came to fruition what what was sort of looked like it was going to happen his freshman year that's when uh, you make your uh, draft rankings based on rivals uh, <laughs> recruiting ranks yeah i mean i essentially just did that with foster a little bit but i mean uh but he he, he at least hasn't proven that he's unproductive like Dion kane proved he is not productive with foster it's a non-applicable because he had the shoulder injury and then all the you know ridley showed up and, 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 and then jalen hurts is just not good at spreading the ball around so there's also that <laughs> So I guess that, that wraps it up as far as our, our receiver talk goes for now. Um, do you want to get into tight ends? Uh, yeah, this, this should be pretty quick. The tight end class, it's in my opinion, is terrible. Good. God, I hate it. Yeah, there's there's a couple interesting guys who are going to go late, but it's like in fantasy and dynasty fantasy football, we need the opportunity to be reliable before it makes sense to, you know, at least in a conventional size draft, like if you're going like eight rounds or something, then maybe you would like to learn who Damon Gibson of Minnesota state Moorhead is. But, uh, that's more because the other tight ends have such little upside uh or at least we have not much reason to believe they have much upside aside from the guys like uh dallas godert gator appears to be the favorite of basically all pundits i'm agnostic i don't i'm not that convinced of his production his and tape looks like it's supposed to you know for, for yeah like it's a, fine a, uh, fcs guy you know you're supposed to kind of look like a man among boys among tape he checks that box he doesn't he doesn't look as imposing to me as adam Shaheen. that did. was just like messed it was like watching a snuff film almost. yeah it was it was a lower level of competition to be fair but Shaheen actually had the physical measurables that came through like six six two eighty running under a four eight it's bonkers yeah i don't at a glance see that kind of athleticism with Godert. No. He's probably going to be like 64 255 260 and I'm I guess I'm just going to leave open the possibility that he basically turns out to be a just a 
what's his name max williams kind of athlete and prospect generally and max williams was a fine prospect but he was you know mid to late second round pick not a first rounder like some people are talking about with yeah, Goder. i guess that tra- that draft was kind of similar as far as its tight end depth goes because wasn't he the first one off the board yeah that was a weak James. one that was really bad yeah and this one's pretty weak but i think mark andrews is probably going to do pretty well at the combine we'll see i mean he could be another just jason morrow or something like that but he was really good in college and there were a lot of points watching him on a field of athletic Oklahoma players where you were like that guy might be the best athlete on this on this tape right here uh, so he he's someone to watch if he tests really well I'll be buying in because I think the production and tape are totally fine so you think you think he could kind of if he can land in a spot a la Evan Ingram I don't think that he's going to run the same 40 as, as Ingram and he's not quite as tall I don't think um, but oh, he's taller okay yeah um, but you know if he can if he can fit into that sort of role i think that suits him pretty well yeah i think i think andrew's body type base and athleticism might resemble jason morrow but um i don't think he's gonna have the drops issues that amaro did no not having productive immediately at oklahoma yeah so we'll see it's it's there's a lot that the testing needs to determine and we didn't talk about him as a running back because he's listed as a tight end of the combine but he was listed as a running back at the senior bowl jalen samuels who i double duty yeah i have no idea what to consider him at all but like i think in dynasty it's worth taking a flyer on him at a certain point especially if you get past the high upside running backs and you're down to just like picking receivers because you think they might go in the second or third round and basically investing for the projected opportunity level samuels is a guy who you can probably project a similar level of opportunity for and there's a lot more skills and he might get tight end classification in fantasy football, even as he gets carries in the NFL. Mm, there you go. So that's, that's just like, I, I got to try to get in on that loophole. There you go. Yeah. So that that's really definitely something that's interesting to keep in mind. Um, he, he, yeah, he did so many different, uh, things that were impressive at NC state. I, I really hope he ends up, uh, kind of getting the, like, a, a type of role. He that, could that, turn into a Trey Burton type. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that, that'll be interesting to see, but he's good at carrying the ball. So, uh, but he might run like a four, seven or something like that. And basically like Trey Burton was good carrying the ball too in college. And you notice no one's given him carries in the NFL anyway. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's a good point. But, um, uh, yeah, the other, other, uh, tight ends, it's like Mike, you from penn state might be the most athletic of these you know conventional day two kind of considerations at tight end so we can't rule out a high uh, sort of placement for him because he could make some noise especially with his vertical jump and uh maybe the 40 among tight ends and then there's hayden hurst i like hayden hurst i think you know like maybe he's not my favorite but like it seems like there's a legitimate chance that he's the first tight end off the board. Yeah. And that, that leads to opportunity, like you're saying, and projected opportunity. So, I mean, if you want to use that as, as a kind of jumping off point, I think Hearst is interesting and he's, he's getting close to being a finished product, but you know, if he has like a two year rental or something in a dynasty format, I mean, that's, it's fine if he's out there and he's starting immediately. Yeah. He might test really well and his production is okay. His tape's totally fine, but his production might, or his, uh, athletic testing might be better than we guessed because uh he used to be a a significant baseball prospect before he burned out there and so uh that he got an offer from south carolina at 23 or whatever i mean he probably was running pretty good for them to take that leap of faith in a guy who hadn't been on the field for so long Uh, it's not common that you see a guy go from baseball to 
you know, SEC level football after f- burning out and not playing football in between. Right. So, so he could test pretty well. And then the other guys, I, I guess they're just Adam Brenneman and Troy Fumagalli, but Brenneman's got the knee issues that might have been his reason for not getting invited to the combine. Uh, his former five star recruit, very productive, but they might not trust his knee at all. They might not trust his ambitions of sticking with football because he briefly retired. Like he took a year off, called it a retirement, then just came back. So that might get him the, uh, the Chris Borland flag. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, then Troy Fumagalli uh, might just be more of a blocker. He's type. not going to do anything that like wows you, but that guy can catch pretty much everything. Yeah, he'll be in the NFL for a while. I, Some I definitely like Ian Thomas too. I don't know about that. Okay. I mean, just looking at the numbers, I didn't like them. I don't know much about him. I have to concede that. But looked good against Ohio State this year. Okay. Well, yeah. If he's if 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 anybody in this tight end class just kills it at the combine, they might get some helium from the lack of competition. And so, yeah, Thomas, if he kills it at the combine, could do that. For now, though, I would guess that it's Hurst, Gasicki, and Andrews who do the best for themselves. And as much as I might just be missing something obvious with Godard, I, I don't think there's reason to believe he's the athlete those three are. And really, end of the day, none of these guys really kind of terrible tight end class we had with oj howard or or um or maybe it's an okay class and yeah it's just last year has me being unreasonable because last year will be the best tight end class of all time yeah yeah it's it's looking special already but um yeah this year's class just kind of temper your expectations about what what the ceiling looks like for a lot of these guys but a couple interesting ones like like we mentioned Uh, i want to hit a few quick combine prop bets before we wrap things up today yeah all right mario i'm tossing these to you so all right Darius Geis LSU running back his 40 yard dash time over under 438 uh so he's got very low odds I would imagine of breaking under 44 flat at 224 whatever he is so I would just imagine he finishes with like a 445 more likely he's yeah the over is is a minus 140 odds so I, i'm kind of guessing that he he goes over as well uh let's see here saquon barkley 40 yard dash 437 over under yeah like those two can't have a 0.01 distinction between their lines uh because barkley is the one who we've heard for a couple of years now runs the four three so he he should probably have a, a bit more of a favored status than than geist than he has there but I would I would probably stay away from that. I don't want to pick him running a four three six, but I also don't want to bet against him running yeah. something <laughs> like that. Uh, it's like the odds of a running back, especially of his weight. Yeah, he's, he's checked in over two thirty today. Yeah, that's that that'd be crazy. I'm gonna guess he. I'm gonna guess it's low four fours for him. Yeah, I'm guessing it's like a four four five four four two kind of thing for Barkley. So I, I would take. Uh, him not hitting that if i had to pick one but i I kind of also want to stay away because he might he might be you know that level of freak i mean guys who like chris henry ran a 434 i want to say at like 230 that the terrible arizona runner that the titans took uh there's 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 weird cases like that and you're like well if if it's gonna happen again it's got to be barkley who does it right yeah no i mean who who better uh than to kind of uh you know think think could do that than saquon um i I looked at bovada and they had uh not as many offerings as some other places but one that i think is still pretty easy I am not responsible and I never said this if if I'm wrong uh, of course but they have Lamar Jackson versus Saquon Barkley 40 and I'm definitely taking Barkley I think 
Yeah, I would too. I think as far as fast as I think Lamar is, um, I, I just feel like Barkley is is more ready to run a forty in the, in like this type of setting. Yeah, and if if uh, I mean it's just hard to run faster than a four four five as a quarterback. It's like Griffin did it, but like even Russell Wilson ran a four five five. It's like four five flat is fast at quarterback. Yeah, so that that's going to be really really tough uh, for Jackson to pull off. So yeah, if, if you're inclined there, uh, maybe that's something you think about. Um, let's see here, I'm trying to trying to think one more. Okay, there, there's a. Uh, you want to do the the quarterback wonderlick one? Sure. So for whatever reason, Josh Allen has the highest odds of be, of being the highest wonderlick. Yeah, I'd, I would think that Rosen and Baker Mayfield should be the favorites for that. Just uh, Rosen has been probably <laughs> like his family probably gave him a leaked copy of the Wonderlick and made him start doing it at age like ten or something like that. Uh, <laughs> there is that background with so. those like yeah raised as quarterback kind of kids. It's like come on, get them the Wonderlick. That's <laughs> the easiest part of uh, getting them built for this uh, this whole test here. Um, I, I would guess that Rosen finishes first, but uh, I don't know. There's always weird outcomes because it's a stupid test that's not applicable to like anything at all. So you yeah. get you get sometimes smart guys with low scores and uh, kind of dumb looking guys who who finish pretty high because they s- spent more time studying I don't know rocks than everybody else or something <laughs> arbitrary like that. So it's 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 a meaningless thing. But one thing I am pretty sure of is Josh Allen is not finishing first. Yeah, I, I feel real good about that as well. Well, um, so that's going to wrap things up for our NFL podcast for this week. We'll be back next Wednesday to kind of digest to invert our rankings based on completely. numbers we don't understand. So next time, this time next week, Robert Foster is not just our number one receiver; he's our number one player. Yes. So that's, now you know. <laughs> we're just warning you in advance, people. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. We will talk to you guys next week.